there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. But um, tonight we're here for Shane Jones. Yeah. Tonight we're here for Shane Jones. Yeah. Oh, there I see. He's sitting, the author's sitting right here, people, just so you know. Okay, he's sitting right here so he can hear, you know, you're not as enthusiastic. So um, I wanted to also let you know that uh, Lightboxes, um, uh, before it hit this press, was actually a staff favorite here at Skylight Bookstore. And that's Emily Pullen right there. She chose the book. And um, so if you see, if you see, and it's, and it's a real big deal. So see, if you see all the thousands and thousands of books that are in this store, you'll see those little note cards on there saying you must read this book you know and um, that is exactly what happened with light boxes by Shane Jones <laughs> and we're so very happy to be here uh, be here with him um, because this is his last trip on the tour is that right that is so this is his last trip last city and he goes back to his life in New York so let's give him a wonderful LA welcome ladies and gentlemen Saint Shane Jones Thank you. So I've been on this, can everybody hear me? Oh, yeah. This uh, short tour that started in upstate New York. I went to Boston, down to New York City, then two nights in Portland, Seattle last night, and now I'm here. And then I leave at a, for a 6 a.m. flight tomorrow. So I'm exhausted, but uh, during the time that I've kind of been on planes and trains and everything, I've put together a list and I'm calling it things I've learned on my book tour. Um, so it's really unorganized and there's a bunch of stuff here, but I wanted to share it with everybody because it's my last, my last reading for now. Um, one, when your publisher classifies your book as achieving cult status, expect a low turnout at readings. <laughs> Two, People like to preface questions with, I have an odd question. These questions are never odd. Example, Boston. Did you go to Bard College? Answer, no. <laughs> Three, on your flight to Portland, don't let the guy sitting next to you reading James Patterson know you're on a book tour. Even if he asks, what are you doing in Portland? Don't say book tour. Anything but book tour. <laughs> Four, when before your New York reading, your editor says at a bar he doesn't feel like being an editor anymore, that he wants to leave Penguin Books, you will no doubt question the possibility of ever publishing with a major house again. <laughs> the rest of the tour will feel odd. When you get back home, be really nice to Adam Robinson. Five, either no one reads in Albany or everyone dislikes light boxes in Albany. <laughs> Six, uh, everyone in Portland was white. I bet Seattle will be like that too. I don't know. <laughs> Seven. These are just terrible. Seven. Don't try and open a non-twist-off beer in your hotel room. You will cut yourself and feel stupid. <laughs> Eight. There are no groupies at readings. Don't expect attractive women to flirt with you. Expect an old Asian woman in New York to ask you on a balloon ride her treat sometime this summer in upstate New York. <laughs> 
Nine, if you open up the Q&A and no one has a question, this is a bad thing. If you open up the Q&A and one person has a question, but this person is your editor who prefaces his question with, I have an odd question, this is a very bad thing. <laughs> Ten, Port Portland smelled like trees. I know. And then I have additional notes. Um, one, alcoholic beverages consumed on book tour, 15. Two, number of times I've thrown up or peed myself, zero so far. Three, number of text messages received from wife while on book tour, 129. Four, number of angry or upset text messages received from wife on book tour, 25. Five, number of books creepy guy had me sign in Portland, nine. Worst question so far on book tour. Were you surprised when Spike Jones bought the film option? Answer, yes. Eight, guess on number of books sold on book tour so far, 42. Numbers sold, not counting family members at Albany Reading, 31. <laughs> First thoughts of Seattle, pretty clean. Saw three girls that look like cat power, actually not raining. 11, last Facebook status update received from boss at day job. Just enjoyed a free sub from Subway. Had enough points on my sub Subway rewards card and it was a new orchard chicken salad. <laughs> Delish, and who doesn't like free? Okay, so that's that. Now, now on to the, the serious stuff. So the book is Lightboxes. It's the one-line synopsis is it's about a group of balloonists that fight a war against the month of February. And I've been reading from the beginning of the book because um, it's a difficult book to just pick sections because it's all broken up and there's lists and pages with, with only one or two sentences. So I'm going to try to read just a few parts where the town is starting to fight against February and they come up with like a few different tactics. And then I'll open it up to questions if people have questions. Um, Afterwards, if people would rather talk like one-on-one -on -one and not have to ask it in a group setting, I'd be happy to stick around and talk to anybody and sign books. So from Lightboxes. The first attack on February occurs. Thaddeus, Sella, Caldor, Clemens, and the Solution devise a plan to trick February by pretending it's summer. The men take their shirts off and roll their pants into a ring at their kneecaps and call them shorts. Sella wears a thin summer dress, the one she wore while on her first balloon trip with Thaddeus. It smells like cedar and grass clippings from the floor of his workshop. The rest of the women wear skirts. They unbutton their blouses and untie their bonnets. The war effort claps while discussing the warm weather. They imagine beams of unfiltered sunlight striking their backs as they tend to the crops. Keldor Clemens pretends to pick berries he wipes sweat from his brow before diving into, into a pile of snow and swimming. Thaddeus and Sella move away from the group to make love in the snow. They tell each other to concentrate on the ocean, teasing their toes, the sand in their hair. Sella imagines that the melting snow between her legs is sweat. Thaddeus licks the ice from her lashes, pushes into the snow. They feel watched and excited. At the end of the day, the group struggles to smile. Their bones are frozen. They walk into Thaddeus and Sella's home to have tea. Everyone is exhausted, their faces beaten red by February. We should continue with this tactic until we see some progress, says Thaddeus. They all agree by way of tipping their teacups. 
Thaddeus. Today I took a trip into town with Caldera Clemens. The air was cold and smelled like apples. I saw a fox sitting on a mailbox. He had duck feathers in his mouth. People asked about the war against February. We couldn't answer the questions fast enough. The crowd circled us ten rows deep. Here, said Clemens, and he knelt down. Feeling somewhat foolish, I climbed onto his shoulders, where I sat perched high above the crowd once he stood. I told the townsfolk that the war against February was as necessary as the air we breathed. If we refused to fight back, the cold and gray would settle like an endless blanket of rocks. I told them to remember what it was like to hold hands with May. I told them to remember what the stream sounded like outside their bedroom windows, the water pouring over August rocks, the birds calling from branches of green, dogs howling in the plains. I told them to close their eyes and ignore the snow melting on their faces, but to remember what it looked and felt like when they woke in the morning to the sun draped over their beds, over their bare feet. Clemens reached up and grabbed me around my ribs. He lifted me from his shoulders with a strange grace and elegance and placed me back onto my own two feet. Great speech, that. Really, really, really good. Clemens punched me in the shoulder. It left a bruise the shape of a mallet's head. Orange bird mask. Today we go up the hill with our weather-changing poles. Some of them are 50 feet long, requiring a dozen men to raise them. The idea is to destroy the clouds that cover the sun, an old Peter tactic he never had the chance to try. It fails because when we raise the weather poles, an ice storm freezes them together. They blow down the hill and toward the town. One weather pole spikes a shopkeeper's window. By nightfall, we feel the sadness inside us that is February. I can smell the mint evaporating from Sella and Thaddeus. Not every tactic will be effective against February, Thaddeus says. Everyone stay positive. The war effort has doubled since the great Thaddeus speech. We now have blacks, blacksmiths and sculptors and farmers and a little person and beekeepers, and most of them have lost their children to February. Most of them can't unclench the fingers into fists that are their hearts. Go home and make a large fire, Thaddeus tells us. Warm yourself until your sweat soaks through your clothes. Thaddeus. The first hot water attack takes place from our home on the hill. We spend the first night filling large buckets with boiling water. We keep them hot by lighting small fires with piles of tree branches. We pour the buckets downhill toward the town. A cloud of steam rises into the sky as wide, empty trenches expand in the snow. The war effort applauds like they're watching theater. The midget does somersaults down the hill. For a moment, yellow streaks the sky. When I angle my face into the rays of sun, I notice the sky trembling around one of the holes. I see footprints running from the first to the second hole where the dangling feet are no longer visible. I tell Sella to look up. She does, but she says she doesn't see anything except the clouds separating a little. And then the sky flutters like a flag, and then it goes black like closed curtains of wool. Thaddeus. And this will be the last section. After three days of dumping hot water by single buckets, our arms are long bruises, unable to handle the turning of the sparrowhead faucet. Keldor Clemens invents the water trough horse system. He works for two days hacking down oak trees and carving out the trunks with knives and axes. 
When he finishes, the wooden trough is three times longer than our home. It stretches to the middle of where the cornfields once grew. Clemens shows us how to stick bits of glass to the bottom of the trough with birch sap he has collected in buckets. The trough itself won't catch fire this way, he says, and lights a small fire beneath it. The water simmers. Clemens brings six horses up the hill and harnesses them with leather straps to the trough he has readied with the boiling water. He raises his hand and sticks the fingers of the other in his mouth and whistles louder than I have ever heard a man whistle. The horses bolt forward, sending a wave of water rushing toward the town, melting the snow into slush. We continue the attack for the rest of the week until the streets clear. We want unfrozen land, and the snowfall melts on the soil like a massive tongue. The children say the clouds look like rippling sails. The holes in the sky turn pink, and a body falls from the sky and into the river. The war effort, their fingers sticky with sap, point to the sky shouting for the death of February. Thank you. So, does anybody have a question? I would like a truly odd question. Now, normal question. What are your writing influences? No. How did the idea for the book come together? Um, there's two big things. One is um, Thaddeus Lowe, the main character in the book, was a real-life historical figure who lived during the Civil War, and he was known as the most shot at man during the Civil War because he did balloon surveillance on the South. So the, there's I just, the, the image of like a guy in a balloon during surveillance and like people shooting at him was kind of in my head. And then I was also writing a lot of like just really intense winter imagery. Like I had these sections where it was like February and February, the idea of February being this terrible month and kind of extending itself. So I put Thaddeus Lowe in that scene and then everything else just kind of came with it. Like what's the worst thing that could happen to a balloonist would be you'd take flight away and then things just kind of kept going. Was it always February or was it ever? It was always February. Yeah, maybe like in Los Angeles, the idea of February isn't the same as like the North East. Right. I mean, February in the Northeast is like terrible. Like it's just like dark and really gray, and it's kind of like the end of winter. It feels like it should be the end of winter, but it just kind of like keeps going. And right. And it's just like a, there's a personal thing for me too. I like I always get really depressed in February and down, and um, so I had to kind of explore that a little bit. Anybody else? Okay. That, well, last you just got in. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just kind of curious how the mix of the style with like the more classic story, but nature to the story kind of came about. You mix those two. I mean, I don't think there was any like conscious effort of that. Um, the book, the way I wrote it. It's probably not going to even answer your question, but the, the way I wrote the book was I wanted to like write a novel, but I didn't know how to do it, so I would just write like a couple of these short sections and wrote like 120, 130 of those and then had them and kind of moved them around and there was a big round of editing. Um, but I've always been interested in like 
folk tales and fairy tales, so like there's that kind of old world feel to it. But then I also like writing really weird stuff, and I like exploring these. There's these little like, say like surreal sections where things kind of get bizarre, and those two things are really opposite. But I think they make the book interesting. So does that answer your question at all? <laughs> okay. Do you read authors like that? Yeah, I mean, all the, I mean, like Marquez is a big influence. Like Calvino, Brodigan, um, who like would be like typical like surreal writers or people that have like a fabulous nature, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? Do you have another? Qu Am I allowed to ask another one? Yep, absolutely. No. There was like a few like small little things. There was a bunch of like grammar mistakes because we didn't have a proofreader. It was just Adam Robinson that read it. So th there's quite a bit of like just like things misspelled and like weird commas. But as far as like the book, when I talked to the editor at Penguin, my fear was like they were going to change a lot of stuff. And he, the first thing he said, he's like, "I don't really, wanna, I don't want to change anything." So it stayed the same, and even like the layout is really similar. What they did is they changed the fonts. But like the layout, like you have the old, like even the way the page numbers are and everything, like they kept that the same. And I think that bothered Adam too. They basically just took the layout. I mean, the book was done for the most part. So no big changes. Is that it? Did you notice the difference between shifting from small to a large press? Um, yeah, I mean, there's like, there's a different feel to it, yeah. I mean, the large press, I mean, you have like an editor, but then behind that editor, there's like, you know, 20, 30 people like working on your book. And so that's a little bit different. And then like, there's like a little bit of money involved. So that's obviously different. You get to go on a book tour. Um, but there's also a lot of similarities. Like you're still working with like one editor and it's still trying to get people to read your book. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, and I'll stick around and talk to people there a lot. Thanks. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashley and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, or at the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.